Okay, let's uh, just bow our hearts as we come to this uh, final section of this psalm this morning, shall we? Well, Father God, thank you for the journey that you've allowed us to to go on through this psalm. Uh, Lord, the lessons we've already learned, and Lord, the things that you've yet to show us. Uh, Father, thank you again that you care so much about us that you give us instruction and teaching, that you want us to grow. Lord, you don't just abandon us and leave us, but Father, you continually watch over us and care for us. Oh, Father, we just thank you for all the the blessings that surround our lives. But Father, thank you too that you want us to have an abundant life. And as we just conclude this psalm this morning, I just pray you stir our hearts once again. Quicken us, Lord, as we've been reading throughout this psalm. Make us alive. Father, give us spiritual insight that we may understand, Lord, the things that you are still wanting to show us. And Father, help us to walk in the way. Lord, not in our way, not, the, not in the way that seems right unto a man, but in the way that you have decreed, the way that you have chosen for us. And Lord, to learn to use your word as a lamp and a light. And so Father, we just give you this time. Speak to us now, we pray, through your Holy Spirit. Lord, just take my words and use them for your purposes, for your glory, Lord. We just give you this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been quite a journey going through this psalm, and there's been so many different things we've seen. Um, We're going to obviously look at this final section from verse 169 to the end in a moment. Uh, It's the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet, uh, the letter Tau, um, equivalent to our letter T effectively, but it's the last letter in their alphabet. And and again, every uh, verse in the Hebrew uh, starts with this same letter uh, in this section, as it does for each of the, the sections, uh, respectively. But what we've seen here is this incredible journey. Let me just take you back to the opening section, if you just turn back to the beginning, because really that sets the scene. Uh, and as we conclude, it's good just to look at this overview's perspective of what we've seen here. And one thing I just want to just share and say straight off is that I have been just so blessed by going through this study Not because of things I've learned, although that has been a huge blessing. But just as I've sat down to study, something's happened, or the Lord's shown me something that's confirmed something else. One example, at home very often we have K-Wave on, the Carver Chapel radio station, and there's a mixture of worship music and teaching and so on. Um, And there's often just teaching, and you're not really listening to it, but there's been things that I've just heard in the background. And then I've gone down to sit and do some study, and exactly the same thing, the same portion of scripture or the same topic has been discussed. And it's just all the way through, uh, it's just things I've read in daily devotions, I've then gone to start the study, and the same theme has cropped up. And it's just been like confirmation after confirmation as we've been going through. Um, very often my approach to study is, is that I will look at the text, I'll read through it, I'll pray about it first... And when I've gone through it and seemingly drawn out everything I can see, I then tend to look at other commentaries. Now, as you're aware, I've used Spurgeon's uh, Treasury of David uh, a lot through this commentary, uh, through this, this study, because it's such a great uh, mine of information. Spurgeon, over many years, compiled um, not only his own thoughts about all the all the Psalms, uh, but also drew from other uh, commentators as well. And we've got a great record in that uh, in that book is a uh, I think originally it was a seven volume set uh, that was published but I've very often gone through my own bit of study I've then gone to see what other commentators have said and it's been exactly almost word for word sometimes what I've just penned or written down and it's been such a wonderful blessing that the Lord seems to have confirmed you know each step of the journey and I've not tried to manufacture 
a journey or a path or whatever. It's just each section has naturally built on the next section as we've gone through. And I, I've just been just blown away as the way the Lord has, has led me personally uh, through this. I, I just hope that I've been able to convey some of that to you. So let me just take you back again. The, the beginning of the psalm just speaks of this double blessing. And God wants for us to have a blessed life. Now, my contention and my, my issue is that for many Christians, we don't live that blessed life because we allow other things in or there are other things that compete for our time and attention. You know, we all have things that we do during our day. Some have day jobs or other routines that we go through that just seem to eat away at our time. And trying to keep God at the center of our lives is not an easy task. Now, as you're aware, I've done this, this series at the moment. I've done three studies, one looking at the rapture of the church, one looking at judgment, and one looking at the big picture, uh, really drawn out of book of Ephesians and some of the comments there. But the whole of the study is really based around that verse in the book of uh, Hebrews, where the writer to the Hebrews just talks about laying uh, the basic principles, the foundations. Uh, he says, that, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the dead. Of course, that's resurrection, rapture, all of that's included there. Uh, 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 repentance from dead works, uh, the doctrine, sorry, and of faith towards God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. So there's a lot of themes, uh, and I've got another three um, kind of mini studies uh, books that I'm working on that will kind of complement those three that I've done. But this study really, I, I didn't intend it to be such, but it's, it's the conclusion of that series. Because the writer to the Hebrews says that we should go on to perfection. So the question is, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, it's great and it's vitally important that we get doctrine nailed down. We need to understand about resurrection. We need to understand about eternal judgment and how these things work. We need to understand about the rapture of the church. They're really important and foundational things. And many other aspects as well that are included within that groupings. But the real purpose of it is that we get that stuff clear and sorted out in our own minds so that we can go on to perfection. And this psalm, to me, is in a sense just a very simple answer to that, okay, how do we do it? You know, the New Testament speaks a lot about walking by faith. It says that we should walk by faith and not by sight. That means we don't just go by our natural inclinations and our, our own resources, our own abilities, what we think, but we learn to live by faith. But what does that mean? You know, how do we actually live by faith? You know, another issue is that so many Christians try and get it right. Try so hard to be righteous to live a godly life and stumble and fall and make mistakes or get caught up in some sort of temptation or addiction or whatever else. And it's surprisingly common. Uh, we, we, we tend to not talk about it, but the m- number of Christians that have various problems with sin in their life, and the truth is probably for most Christians they hate it, they really don't want those things in their lives, but they're struggling. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know you can relate to this this morning already. The, the question then is, well, how do we do it? Because the moment you kind of make that New Year's resolution that you're going to get up early and read your Bible and that's, you know, you're going to do so much, you know, we stumble, we fall, we get things wrong. Or we make a determined effort not to look at things we shouldn't look at, be it things on television or as we're out walking around, or it could be attitudes towards other people, bitterness or resentment or whatever else. There's so many things, envy, covetousness, 
You know, it's easy to look at other people and see what they have and then think, well, why haven't I got that? You know, so we struggle. We all struggle. But this psalm is a, a, a stepping stone in a sense all the way through to, to take us to a place where actually we can walk in victory. Because, again, you look in the beginning of Revelation and there's promises made there to those who overcome. See, God's intention is that we do overcome, not that we carry on in this life of struggle and and, and wrestling with temptations, wrestling with the flesh all the time. We should be above these things. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, and we shouldn't be struggling with these things of the world. And, you know, part of the work of sanctification, that lovely long spiritual word that we use, but it just means being set apart. The the work is not ours, it's Christ's. In the book of Acts we're told that it is faith that then produces that work, as Christ works in us. And the moment you try and do it by some determined effort, you will stumble, you will fall. Because Paul makes it very clear in the book of Romans that in my flesh there is no good thing. So you've not got any resources to do it with in the first place. So we need something put into us that is not there naturally. And that's the thing. We have to go to God. And as we go through this psalm, as we've been going through, there's so many little lessons that we've learned. So again, the beginning of the psalm just speaks about blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him. With a whole heart. Now remember when we started this, we said, you know, that's such a high standard, just like the Beatitudes says. You know, the law itself sets such a high standard of God's judgment and justice and righteousness and so on. And look at this in verse 3. They also do no iniquity. Well, let me remind you of what John tells us in 1 John 5.18. It says that they who are Christ, who are born of the Spirit of God, do not sin. Now that's something that naturally you can't, Apply to yourself. You think, well, you know, we do sin, we stumble. And John says, you know, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But then he goes on and says that that which is born of God cannot sin. And it leads to some to that kind of, well then, does that mean I'm not born of God because I do sin? No, it's quite simple. That The life that God puts in you, the new life, cannot sin. So we end up with this old life and new life. The flesh life and the life of the spirit. And we end up with this battle. And in Galatians and other portions just speak quite clearly about this wrestling that we have continually going on between the flesh life and the spirit. And of course what we're supposed to do is to sow to the spirit, not gratify the desires of sinful nature, and as we do that we learn to walk by faith. But again, it's not as easy as we can write it down, we can have it clear in our heads, but actually doing it is hard. So what the beauty of this psalm is that I've seen is a practical way of doing it. Because the psalmist, and again, as we've said many times, I think it's David, so many things seem to say that it's David. We know he wrote most of the psalms. Um, but it's just a life of experience of somebody who has made mistakes, just like you and I. Somebody that's got things wrong. I mean, David is a great example and a role model to look at because he's somebody who, well, he lusted, he lied, he committed murder. He disrespected and dishonored his parents. You know, every one of the commandments you can look at and you see David broke. And yet, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart. Doesn't that resonate with us? You know, that we, we have these problems, we know that we, we still struggle with things. And yet God says to David that he's a man after mine own heart. In fact, he said that to, to Saul of David. To, to Samuel, sorry, of David. What a lovely thing to be said. You know, wouldn't it be nice if, if we heard that have said of us that God thought that you were an individual 
after his own heart. The, the verse 5 just kind of carries on verse uh, of the opening of the, the psalm. Verse 5 says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Immediately there's that acknowledgement that I don't yet. I'm struggling. Because if only my ways were directed to keep thy statutes, well then, verse 6, I shall not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. And it says, I will, and that's future tense, praise thee with uprightness of heart. And we're going to see this morning, as we look at this section in just a moment, we'll see the conclusion of this. I, I will praise thee when I shall have learned thy righteous judgments. I will, future tense, keep thy statutes. And he says, oh Lord, forsake me not after the others, Lord, until I get to that point, just please bear with me, put up with me. Then we go through the next section, uh, Beth, uh, the verses 9 through to 16. It's just that, Lord, I'm really struggling, help me. How can I cleanse my way? How can I live a life that's pleasing to you? Uh, then he goes, in the next section he speaks about being a stranger in the earth. You know, I just, I'm out of place here. You know, recognizing that we've got a, a problem with the proud that are there as well. The princes of the earth, verse 23, have spoken against him. But then we get to a really low point, not the lowest, but a low point in the, the fourth section in Dalit. My soul cleaves unto the dust. You know, look, I'm part of this world. But I don't want to be, because I've been born of above and I want to live that new life. But he says, it's almost as if I'm so entangled in the things of this world that I can't get away from it. And verse 26, a great declaration of honesty. Lord, I've declared my ways. Lord, I've not tried to hide from you who I am. Now, we're good at hiding from each other the problems that we experience. We're really good at that. You know, we, 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 um, you know, probably more in, in Britain than other countries, but we've just got that down to such a fine art. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. That is such a lie. It really is. Because very seldom can we honestly say, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Normally it's, well, I'm struggling with this or that, or there's this problem or there's that problem, or, you know, really our, our response should be to that, how are you? It should be, well, pray for me. Please pray for me. And again, we need to be praying for each other because we're all in this together. But the psalmist says, Lord, I've declared my ways to you. Now, I just, I've just poured my heart out. This is where I'm at. These are the things I struggle with. And he says, Lord, make me to understand. Lord, just force me into this, this way. You know, and of course, by God's grace and through his wisdom, he doesn't force us. He doesn't make us like robots. We have a freedom of choice. And sometimes we wish that we didn't have. As the psalmist says here, Lord, please, just, just make me do it. I, I, you know, don't give me any options. You know, he recognizes, verse 29, remove from me the way of lying. You know, I just don't want those things to be part of my life. And, and so often, the, the biggest lies are the lies we tell to ourselves. You know, we try and say, it will be okay. I will make, I will sort this out. I don't need to ask somebody in the church to, to pray for me because just another week and I'll get this sorted. It doesn't work doesn't work. You'll spend a lifetime running. You need to just go to a brother or sister and say, pray for me. You don't even have to say what for. You know, we, we don't want to get into a, a confessional thing. That's not what we're going to do. James speaks about confessing our faults, but not our sins. It's not. We're not going to confess all the details and sordid details of what goes on in our lives and our hearts and our minds. We don't want to do that. That can cause others to stumble as well. But you, there's nothing wrong. It's good that we be accountable to each other. We say, look, just pray for me. That's just, just something at the moment I just need you to pray for. That, that's enough. And then we can pray for each other. But then the person that's praying then goes back the next week and say, okay, how are you doing? 
You know, we just grow together. But the psalmist, again, very honest, very open before God, recognizing he has this problem, gets the place of realizing that actually, Lord, I need you to put into me something that's not there. The next section, verse 33, hey, in the Hebrew, letter hey, teach me, O Lord. Give me understanding. Make me to go in the path. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes away from beholding vanity. He goes, establish thy word unto thy servant. Turn away my reproach. What a, a barrage of prayer that he's, he's bringing before the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you've got to do something here. Still at this point, I don't think he's understood what it is and how it's going to be resolved. He's just pouring his heart out to God as we should be honest enough to do. and Say, Lord, I need you to help me. The next section, let thy mercies come unto me. Lord, please be merciful. And then, again, gradually growing, that next section, Zion, verse 49 onwards. Remember thy word unto thy servant, which has caused me to hope. It's starting to, to understand, starting to get the point of what God is showing him here. Because he's starting to talk about God's word. Verse 57, he says, look, you are my portion. You're, you're everything I need. And he says, I've said that I would keep thy words. And then he says, but Lord, I begged you with my whole heart to be merciful to me according to your word. Because, you know, it's one thing saying, Lord, I really want to to keep your word. I want to obey you. We can say those things, but immediately we we come back and we go, actually, I, I can't do it, can I? And the Lord says, no, you can't. You need my strength. It goes on. And I'm not going to go through each of the sections when the, the notes are all finished. If you want to review, you can. But we get to a couple of really low points. Again, verse 81 starts by saying, My soul faints for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Uh, this to me, I, I think this is the lowest point of the psalm. It says, I'm become like a bottle in the smoke. I mean, cracks and worthless. That's how he sees himself now. I'm no good for anything, Lord. It's almost, how could you use someone like me? How many of my days? It's twofold. How long will this go on? But also, how long have I got left? Time is a gift of love and grace, because without time, there will be no time to change. God, by his grace, gives us time. Speaks again of the proud, but then verse 86 he says, all thy commandments are faithful. And it's almost then, so why do they persecute me wrongfully? The Lord, I've tried to obey your commandments, but they still persecute me. And bear in mind that when we read they, the wicked, the proud, sometimes we are absolutely referring to other people, the wicked, the proud of this world that would seek to destroy everything that God is doing and everything that is good in our lives. But recognize also that the wicked and the proud also refer to you. Because if we are, for any moment, out of step with God, we are proud. We're choosing our way over God's way. We are inherently wicked. The the, the word the Bible uses so frequently is iniquity. That's our own twisted, sinful nature. We don't like to think of ourselves as being wicked. And yet, ultimately, if we're not godly, if we're not righteous, there is only one other option. And so it's that acknowledgement that not only have we got external pressures and problems, but internally there are things as well, as we've said already. And then he says, and this I think is that, that low point, this isn't the Jonah moment, if you may, we spoke about that a few weeks ago. 
you know, right down in the, it goes down to Joppa, then down into the bottom of the ship, and then down to the bottom of the oceans, and seemingly down into, into Sheol. And he says, help thou me. I mean, that's those three words. That, that's about it. That's all we need. You know, we might spend years of our life coming to that place where we actually cry out, God, help me. Where we say not just the words help me, but really understanding that I cannot do this. I cannot live a righteous life on my own. And then we start to see this quickening going on. Verse 88, quicken me after thy loving kindness. And that's the only basis we have. It's God's loving kindness. So shall I keep the testimony of thy mouth. And then we start this ascent as we really start climbing up now. Because we start to understand that the secret is God's word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Verse 89. And then he goes on from there. Verse 97, the next section begins, Oh, how I love thy Lord is my meditation all the day. You see, it's not that he didn't read God's word before, but now everything's changed. God's word is so much more important to him. The next section begins, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Notice again, the next section, Samach 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. And then we just continue this growth, learning more and more, dealing with, again, the flesh to start with, then the proud and those that oppress him, and then just getting our focus onto the things of God. With that, let's jump straight then to the end now and look at our conclusion. The word Tau in the Hebrew, means boundary, or that which is marked. Uh, it's a, it implies kind of a limit, uh, is what it means. My subheading for this section is drawing the line. Spurgeon says this, The psalmist is approaching the end of the psalm, and his petitions gather force and fervency. He seems to break into the inner circle of divine fellowship, and to come even to the feet of the great God whose help he is imploring, This nearness creates the most lowly mew of himself and leads him to close the psalm upon his face in deepest self-humiliation, begging to be sought out like a lost sheep. Now, I just think it's interesting looking at the the name or the the meaning of the the letter, the Tau. It's like this is just as it was for Jacob at Mizpah. Remember when Jacob had spent those years away, 20 or so years up with Uncle Laban, and then he decides this isn't going all that well. So he takes his wife, his wives, and his children, and all the cattle, and they head off. And they do it while Laban's out somewhere. And he comes back, he finds they've gone. So Laban chases after them, and eventually catches up to them at this place, Misfa. Now this, this place, Misfa, is where they make this agreement that neither of them are going to cross over this line anymore. Laban won't cross over to Jacob, Jacob won't cross over to Laban. It's not just a friendly agreement. This is a, on kind of pain of death, if you cross this line, then you will forfeit your life. That's the implication with this agreement. It's not just a friendly uh, conversation they're having. And Jacob effectively now draws a line. He's not going back to that old life. And that's where we are in this psalm. Romans 6 verse 2 says... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know, how can we go back to that, that life? Verse 11 of Romans 6 carries on. It says, Likewise, reckon yourself also to be dead indeed unto sin, 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The boundary stones in Israel, we see quite a lot of it in the Old Testament. They represented a witness or a testimony between two parties. And they indicated a limit, or the limit of your estate. And the idea would be that if you were passed over your boundary, you'd be moving from a place of safety and security into a territory that wasn't yours and therefore afforded you no protection. Proverbs 22, 28, Deuteronomy 19, 14, some references you can look at if you want to. There's many others that speak about these boundary stones that would be set up. You know, whenever we step outside of God's boundaries for our lives, we're doing just that. We're putting ourselves in a place where we can be guaranteed of no protection. God has marked our territory. He's set the bounds for our lives. You know, God set the bounds for the nations. But he also set the bounds, if you remember, for the children of Israel. When, under Joshua, they moved into the promised land. God gave them their allocation of land. And it's really interesting because if you know, Dan, the tribe of Dan, were given a portion of land that was close to the Mediterranean, about halfway down Israel. That was the portion that were given to them. But they weren't happy with it. They said, it's not enough. They wanted more. So they end up going and taking a portion of land right at the top of Israel, bordering onto Syria. And you know, the tribe of Dan were the first tribe to fall into idolatry. They stepped outside of the boundaries that God had set for them. They wanted more. We call that covetousness. They wanted something that God had said wasn't for them. The stupid thing is, when you look at it on the map, the piece of land they took was smaller than the piece of land they'd been given. But they thought, I guess like we do sometimes, the grass is greener. And and they ended up falling into idolatry. Because they didn't accept the boundaries that God has set. God has set us boundaries in our lives. In many ways that, that applies. Morality. God has given us very clear boundaries of what is right and what is wrong. Vocabulary. God has said what is right and what is wrong. Our attitudes towards our spouses or to those around us. Our general demeanour even. The way that we should conduct ourselves. God has given us instruction on all of these things. But when we step outside of those things, when we reject God's rules, that well, it's not enough. I want to have a bit more. I want to be able to do this or say this or act this way. It will always lead to compromise and defeat. It won't bring happiness. It won't bring fulfillment, which is what so often people think. As I said before, people are always, in a sense, searching as that the old idiom is kind of going for the bright lights of the city. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong in going for the bright lights of the city, but make sure that city is the new Jerusalem. That's the bright light. That's the one we want to be going for. Not the things the world offers us. So again, as we go into this final octave, these these final eight verses now, it's more of a postscript that's kind of on the end of the psalm. As I said last week, that last section that we looked at last week, it very much gives us our conclusion. But this is now just a wrapping everything up and tying it together. And it also kind of lays out, in a sense, the psalmist manifesto for the rest of his days. So we read verse 169. Let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Now, the cry, he says, let my cry. What is he referring to? I believe it's referring to the, the entirety of this psalm. That is his cry. Everything that we've seen prior to this has been his cry. And he's saying, Lord, let all of this come before you. 
You know, we could paraphrase, I think, the intent of his heart by, you know, let the cries of this psalm come before you, Lord. All that I have, I now place before you. I've poured out my soul like water, very much like Job had said. It was just outpouring to God. Yet, even at the end of this great journey and this constant petition, there's one very valuable lesson that he's learned. And that is that we constantly need to come back to the Lord and seek understanding according to his word. Yeah, his word has given us instruction, but we've got to rely on it for understanding too. You know, instruction is great, but without understanding to go along with that instruction, it just leads to legalism, some sort of religious practice in our lives. It leads ultimately to bondage. But if we have instruction with understanding, well, that will bring forth liberty. He says, let my cry come before the Lord and give me understanding according to your word. It's just worth highlighting that although the journey's over, he's not yet arrived at his destination. You know, for us, we need to realize that in our walk as Christians, we may get to this place, and I hope and pray we all get to this point, where we start to really learn to walk by faith. But we're still not at our destination. We won't get to our destination until, as uh, some have put it, the last train comes. Ultimately our upward call. That which we're looking forward to, the rapture. Yeah, we need to keep in the word if it indeed is going to light our way home and be a lamp to our feet. Yeah, the path is dark. The proud of dig pits, verse 85 tells us that. The wicked have laid snares. Yeah, we need to make sure that we refrain our feet from every evil way, verse 101. We need to continually consider his testimonies, verse 95. You know, now that we've come this far, we mustn't forget his precepts, verse 93, or depart from his judgments, verse 102. Well, how do we do that? Well, the only way of doing all of those things is by getting into God's word. Really, really, truly getting into God's word. There's a song by the Christian band Petra, and uh, the song's called Minefield. The lyrics are like this. The enemy is watching every step you take. To find his opportunity in every choice you make. And it's no game when someone lives without his grace. And who's to blame when it blows up in their face? It's a minefield. You better follow him through. God knows the way. You better stick like glue. It's a minefield. You better stay on his heels because the enemy kills and the enemy steals. So keep your head down and keep your eyes peeled. Because life is a minefield. You better leave the navigation to the one who knows the way. He will bring illumination. He will light your path each day. I think that's fairly, fairly simple. Verse 170 then. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. Now, again, this psalm has a cry from the heart, but it's also a supplication from the mind. The whole of his being is united in this desire and petition to walk with his God. And be delivered from the, the shackles that had once hold him. Uh, Spurgeon says this, Deliver me according to thy word. Rid me of mine adversaries. Clear me of my slanderers. Preserve me from my tempters. And bring me up out of all my afflictions. Even as thy word has led me to expect that thou will do. You know, And we need to realize again that we need constant deliverance. Because we've got a foe that is not going to rest. 
You know, this isn't a, we've got to the, the end of the journey, that's it, we can sit down and put our feet up. Because we need to continue pray. As the psalmist prays here, deliver me according to your word. That's not a, a once only prayer. You know, we need to realize that, that Satan desperately wants to trip us up. There may have been a time in our lives when even as Christians he wasn't that bothered about us because we were pretty ineffective. We weren't really reading our Bible, we weren't praying, we weren't really being much of a witness or an example. Quite often Satan's happy if we're in that place. But you know, the moment you start to walk by faith, you could become a real danger and a threat to him. And just as we see in Revelation 12 where we find the man-child is called up to God on his throne. And in that of course it's a picture of Jesus but encapsulated within that, and by implication also, is the church, the bride of Christ, caught up to the throne. And what does Satan do? Well, he's mad. He turns his attention on Israel. He set up, sets about destroying Israel. You know, it's like he's lost the prize that he thought he'd won. As you know, we've got two cats. We've got Monty and Ali. Ali's very placid. Monty is um, not so. Joy has a scar on her hand, she'll show you, that Monty gave her some years ago. He's overall, he's, he's a lovely cat, really. But there's occasions that I've caught him um, catching things, like birds. Um, we had some lovely um, birds that were uh, growing, doing what they do, the little nesting in a box in the back of the garden. And unfortunately, a few of these young little birds were just taking their first steps out in the big wide world, and Monty got one of them. We thought he was away, and we, he, you know. So I go chasing after him. Managed to catch him. He lets go of this thing. Poor thing is, is too distressed and obviously it died. But the look on Monty's face. I'd taken away his prey, his prize. He got this and he was very unhappy with me for quite some time. But you know, Satan is far worse than that. He hates losing his prize. And he would see each one of us as being a prize that he could claim. That anything he can do to stop us growing in grace, to stop us walking by faith, he will do it. So you better expect that there's going to be trouble. But, as we read in First Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is as a roaring lion. No teeth. He can't inflict any real pain. can't hurt you. But he's a roaring lion. Walking about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, Satan is going to do whatever he can to shake you from your security in Christ and to cause you to, to run back to things of the world, things maybe that once you found comfort in. So we need to realize again, this verse so important here, we need to continue to pray, Lord, deliver me. It's part of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Deliver me from temptation. And we need to not just assume that we've now got to a place where by God's grace those things are passed. Because every day we can find new things that would come along. Now by God's grace we walk above the circumstances so often we don't even see those things that once would have caught our eye. Verse 171 says, My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. Now I looked into the Hebrew on this one because I just wanted to see how it was actually rendered originally. Let's bear in mind we read a translation. And I think probably a, a more accurate translation, because that word when just troubled me. I was just trying to understand in the context of this. And, and really, uh, looking at various commentaries and going back to the Hebrew itself, is another way of putting this would be, my lips shall pour forth praise for thee. 
For thou hast taught me thy statutes. It's a present tense thing. It's not implying in the future. Another way we can say is, when you have taught me your statutes, I will utter your praise, and that time is now. That's what it's saying. It's not saying that this is still yet to come. We've come to the end of this journey. The psalmist at the beginning was talking about, when you've done this, then I'll praise you. Well, now is the time. My lips shall have to praise, when thou hast taught me thy statutes. Well, the Lord has taught him the statutes. Now is that time. And again, it's the idea of just our lips just pouring forth praise unto God for what he's done. And, and why wouldn't we do that when we realize what God has saved us from, what God is doing in our lives, and all that is yet to come, the joy that is set before us? You know, the sufferings of this present time really are not worthy to be compared to the joy that's ahead. Verse 172 says, My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. No longer was it enough to just meditate on God's word. It's overflowing. It's now got to be on his very lips. He wants to speak of God's word. You know, and again, for anybody that will hear, and if none will listen, well, we're going to speak anyway. Now he's discovered the source of righteousness itself, and it's God's word. William Cowper, another great man of God, wrote this. One duty of thankfulness promised by David is to speak of God's words for the edification of others. Every Christian man, as he is a priest to offer sacrifice unto God, so he is a prophet to teach his brethren. For unto us all stands that commandment, edify one another in their most holy faith. But alas, you shall see many Christians now who, at their tables and in their companies, can speak freely upon any subject. Only for spiritual matters which concern the soul, there they are dumb. And they cannot say with David, my tongue shall speak of thy word. You know, there's a challenge here because as we start to grow in grace, as we start to really treasure and hold on to God's word, we should want to speak about it. But let me put a challenge out to you here. Because there's an onus and a responsibility on each of you to speak of God's word to encourage others. Because God will show you things. God will stir your hearts and reveal things to you. You know, you can choose, we've used this example before, to be like the, the sea of, or, or sorry, the, the dead sea, which just continually takes in. And it's stagnant, it's dead, there's no life. Or like the sea of Galilee, which takes in at the top end from the Jordan, but then flows out also, it's teeming with life. And you have a choice in your life how you're going to be. And I challenge you in regard to things like prayer meetings and Bible studies and whenever we have opportunity to meet together. Some people think they don't need to come. I don't want to offend you, but why? Why do you think you don't need to come? Is it because you know everything already? Is it because you don't think you've got anything to offer? Well, let me say to you now, that you have a huge amount to give. This week I was going through with Marla, looking, we've just been going through the book of Esther now. And we just got to that portion in chapter 4 where Mordecai tells Esther to go and present herself before the king and say, look, this threat against our people is, is here. And he says, you know, it may be that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. There is no one like you. No, You are the only person that God has got in this role here for now. He says, if you don't do it, God will use someone else. That's true. God has given you this opportunity. And all of you have a chance to encourage and edify and build up each other. I'm not saying you need to come to every meeting all the time. But you need to realize that you have a responsibility to the body of Christ. You're not there to be like the Dead Sea, just to take in and take in and take in. 
And you might not think you've got anything to offer, but I can tell you now that some of the greatest words of encouragement have come from people that didn't think they could give anything. And they've just said something simple. And it's been such a blessing to the person they said it to. Or they may have shared an account or a situation that's going on in their life that they're struggling with. And somebody else who was tight-lipped, not wanting to share what was going on in their life, thought, oh, it's not only me. Do you know, sometimes it's a great comfort just to know that somebody else is struggling as well. doesn't solve the problem, but at least you know that you're in it together. Again, the psalmist says, my tongue shall speak of thy word. All thy commandments are righteous. And, you know, as we get to this place of loving God's word, of realizing how important it is, if we are to walk by faith, it should just overflow. And we should just want to talk about things of God. And I guarantee you, every single one of you here this morning has got something that you can bring and you can give to the rest of the congregation in one way or another. Because God has chosen each of us. We are to be one body. do many different parts. As Paul Highlight. Sometimes the parts that seem or think that are the, the least significant actually are the most important. Verse 173, let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. In Second Kings there's an account of uh, a lady. Uh, Elisha had gone and stayed with this couple in their house. They'd made him a, a, a chamber there, a room for him to sleep when he passed by. And he was concerned, he wanted to do something to bless them. And his servant pointed out they didn't have any children. So he prayed and the woman ended up conceiving and she gave birth, had a child. But then one day the child was out with his dad in the field and complained he had a headache, went home and died. And obviously the mum was distraught. This was her only child. So she goes to try and find Elisha. And she gets there. And it's interesting because Elisha says, okay, to, to Gehazi, who's his servant, he says, right, I want you to go with this lady now. And go and lay your staff upon the child. And the lady says, no. Unless you're coming, we're not going anywhere. You see, she didn't want the servant, she wanted the master. That's this verse. Let thine hand help me. You see, unless it's God that's helping you, it's no help at all. We need to go directly to the source, to the master, not to the servant. And and we can encourage each other, as I was just saying, but when we are really looking for that strength that we need, we have got to go to God. And there's another element of this, that we must learn not to put our trust in man. Because we will let each other down. That's just the way it is. We've got to accept that. But we love each other through those things. But ultimately, our eyes are fixed upon Jesus. Because he will never fail us. He will never leave us. He will never let us down. Let thy hand help me. You know, those of you with children, you know, you, you've been at times in a situation where your child has put their hand out to reach your hand. And they've just got this confidence that you're not going to let them down. Well, that's us and God. You know, we need to reach out our hands and say, Lord, I know you won't let me down. Help me. And he says, notice this, for I have chosen thy precepts. Just as with Joshua, the psalmist has decided whom he was going to serve. It's the precepts of Yahweh, Jehovah, alone that he'd chosen. It wasn't some vague council. It wasn't some foreign deity, some other god or whatever. He says, I've chosen thy precepts. You know, this is what we have chosen as Christians. We've not chosen man's wisdom. We've not gone and listened to some of the, the Greek philosophers or some of the, the wisdom of our age. We've chosen God's precept. This is the God who's created all things. In, it's a choice. In the opening octave, we read, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. 
Yet even though it's a command, it still remains a choice for each individual. But then when we consider his precepts, we really quickly come to the conclusion that there really is no other choice for us. You know, why would we want to choose something else? You know, I'm reminded of those words of Simon Peter when Jesus said, will, will you go also? And he says, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, Peter's response is, Lord, there is nowhere else to go. No one else is like you. No one else can give us salvation. Just going through this psalm, we see that it's his precepts that stir us to talk of his wondrous works. Verse 27. It's his precepts that we've longed for. And you notice now he's saying, I've chosen thy precepts. At the beginning of the psalm, he was longing for it. Now he's got it. It's his precepts that cause us to walk at liberty in verse 45. They prevent us from being consumed in verse 87. They quicken us in verse 93. They make us wiser than the ancients ancients in verse 100. And furthermore, it's his precepts that give us understanding in verse 104. They keep us from straying off the right path, verse 110. Ultimately, we're told that his precepts are right. It's God's ways, it's his thoughts that have been revealed to us. And we know from Isaiah that his ways are so far above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. That's why we're saying, I've chosen thy precepts. Now this is why we can start to really believe that we can walk by faith. Because by choosing his precepts, all of those things come as part of the package. Verse 174 says, I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Well, that's our conclusion. That's the the final summary. I mean, there was a, a verse like this in the previous section, but this is reiterating. The psalmist began by seeking God. He longed to be saved from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. Again, not just saved from the penalty of sin, but from the present power of sin. And this verse gives us that wonderful discovery that the psalmist had made as he traversed the path of life. And the discovery is quite simply, it's God's word. Because he says, I've longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. I found it. I found that which I was seeking. You know, he's discovered firsthand what this precious book really is. It's the life-changing word of God himself spoken into our hearts and minds and to any who will receive. It's got the power to defeat the greatest onslaught of Satan, but also the gentleness to encourage and strengthen the brokenhearted. It's got the majesty to inspire and lift the heart and mind above the realm of this world. It brings conviction and judgment on the ungodly, but tenderness and that gentle wooing for the penitent in heart. Yet it provides light in the midst of spiritual darkness. And as we've seen already, it illuminates the path ahead of us. I I can't in words convey how important this book is. This isn't just a collection of religious writings. And respectfully and reverently, I'd say it's not even just God's word. It's way more than that. It's it's everything that God has chosen to communicate and to give to us. It's everything that we need for this life. It, It says of itself that it is living and powerful, and it is living and powerful. 
Another song also by the same band I mentioned earlier by Petra, a song called Council of the Holy. And the lyrics are this, and they just have inspired me over many years, but there is a light burning in the darkness, a book of hope, a morning light, breaking over the mountains to where the eagle flies. It gives us wings to touch the sky. It is the wisdom of the wise. A book of wonder, a book of life, a book of promise, faithful and true, a book of miracles for all who will believe, a book of wisdom to all who will receive, more precious than rubies, more precious than gold, mighty is the wisdom of the Lord, counsel of the holy, the written word of God, wisdom cries for all to read, counsel of the holy, the greatest book of all, is the path of victory. You know, we've been granted this companion for our journey through life. Yeah, God could have communicated to us in all sorts of different ways, but he's chosen to give us his word. And I can't emphasize enough how important this book is. Verse 175, let my soul live and it shall praise thee and let thy judgments help me. Spurgeon says this, fill it full of life, preserve it from wandering into the ways of death. Give it to enjoy the indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Let it live to the fullness of life, to the uttermost possibilities of its new created being. Speaking of our souls. And it shall praise thee, it shall praise thee for life, for new life, for eternal life. For thou art the Lord, the giver of life. The more it shall live, the more it shall praise. And when it shall live in perfection, it shall praise thee in perfection. That's what... Our souls will do if the Lord just fills us with his word, with his life. Let my soul live, it shall praise thee. We can't help but respond. Just like those rocks, we were singing that song this morning, Hosanna. Thinking of when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And he said that if the people didn't praise him, the very rocks themselves would cry out. Well, our hearts maybe have been like stone in the past. But now by God's word, they're alive. And they just want to cry out. You know, the word is done in the life of the psalmist, that which it says of itself that it will do, namely to divide between that which is the flesh, the soul, and the spirit. Again, Hebrews 4.12. You know, it's his soul that needed quickening, not not the flesh, because the flesh one day is going to be transformed. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, in the moment of a twinkling, in the twinkling of an eye, the flesh, this corruptible will put on incorruption. It's not the spirit, because we've been indwelt now by the, the Holy Spirit of God. It's his soul, his innermost being. As, as Peter puts it in First Peter 3, it's the hidden man of the heart. That's what needed quickening. Because if our soul is alive, then we are really alive. And if we're alive, then we're living to praise him. And notice also that he says, and let thy judgments help me. Well, back even as recently as verse 120, he was afraid of God's judgments, he said. But now he sees them as companions to aid him. You see, a righteous man doesn't fear judgment. But a a transgressor has got very good reason to tremble at God's judgments. And then he concludes and says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. He's under no illusion, as he concludes the psalm, that now everything is done, everything's sorted, he can get on with his life. What's happened is he's come to that place of knowing how to live. How to walk by faith. How to walk in the way. And that is simply by walking according to God's word. It's letting God's word to permeate our thinking. 
Learning to meditate on God's word through the day. Remember, seven times a day, he said, he would think upon God, he would give praise to God. Spurgeon, in conclusion, says this. He said, this is the finale, the conclusion of the whole matter. I've gone astray like a lost sheep, often, willingly, wantonly, and even hopelessly, but for thine interposing grace. In times gone by, before I was afflicted, and before thou had fully taught me thy statutes, I went astray. I went astray from the practical precepts, from the instructive doctrines, and from the heavenly experiences which thou hast set before me. A man by the name of Barton Bouchier, in his conclusion to this psalm, said this. He said, I do not think there could possibly be a more appropriate conclusion of such a psalm as this. So full of the varied experience and the ever-changing frames and feelings even of a child of God, in the sunshine and in the cloud, in the calm and in the storm, than this ever-clinging sense of his propensity to wander and the expression of his utter inability to find his way back without the Lord's guiding hand to restore him. And at the same time, with it all, his fixed and abiding determination never to forget the Lord's commandments. What an insight into our poor wayward hearts does this verse give us. Not merely liable to wander, but ever wandering and losing our, our own way. Ever stumbling on the dark mountains, even while cleaving to God's commandments. But at the same time, what a prayer does it put into our mouths. Seek thy servant. I am thine, save me, which is what he'd said previously. Yes, blessed be God. There is one mighty to save, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. You know, God has given us everything we need to live this life. God wants us to go on to perfection. You know, I encourage you to continue to get your head around the doctrines that we read in Scripture. Understand the details. Understand the framework, if you like, of the the jigsaw puzzle. Know how things fit together. It's very important. And it's a sure guard against deception as well. But understand also that all of that is just the foundation. Because we're to go on to perfection. And what I believe the writer to the Hebrew means is what David himself speaks about. And that is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. That we become so full of the things of God that the things of this world just fade away. Let's bow our hearts. Well, Father, we thank you for this precious, precious gift that you have given us, not just in this psalm, but in your word in its entirety. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us all that we need to walk by faith and not by sight, to walk in the way. Lord, help us to truly learn now from this moment to step out and to live by faith, to realize, Lord, that your word is more than a match for anything that the enemy would throw at us. The Lord, by our own efforts, we won't be able to have the resolve to resist temptation, but through your word, you will put within us something that is not there naturally. And supernaturally, we will find that we have the strength. As the psalmist prayed, Lord, strengthen me according to your word. Quicken me according to your word. Give me understanding according to your word. Lord, I prayed as individuals that this would have been an opportunity for us to grow spiritually. But I also pray as a fellowship that you would allow us to grow. 
that, Lord, we would really truly learn as a fellowship of believers to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, in so doing, that you would then take us wherever you would take us, but that it would be for your honour and your glory. Father, in the days that remain until the rapture, until you take us home, just give us such a zeal and hunger and passion for your word. And Lord, as we learn to read it and meditate on it and study it, oh Lord, just fill us to overflowing that we want to talk to others. That Lord, whatever other topics or things we understand, Lord, subjects that we know of, Lord, may there be nothing that we care for more than your word. And so Lord, we thank you for this time. Be with us as we go from here, Lord, as Moses prayed on behalf of the people, Lord, we pray that your face would shine upon us. Lord, it will shine most brightly when our face is turned towards your word, we know. So Lord, we just thank you. We give you ourselves. And Lord, that challenge lays before us. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May God richly bless you through this coming week.